we're wrapping up our uh, He Said, She Said, God Said series, uh, we're looking at parenting, right? And so as we've been focusing these past four weeks, Pastor Mike's been leading us as men and women, how we understand each other better and how we relate to one another. We got to bring the elephant into the room, which is how do we do that in the context of having kids? So um, Mike's obviously off this weekend. He has been here about 20 weekends in a row, and at that point, you typically mentally start to break down, and so um, he's taking a uh, well-deserved rest this weekend, so you might see him around, see him say hey, uh, tell him that hopefully he's enjoying his time, but um, we're wrapping up this series uh, this weekend, and we're going to kind of focus tonight on the relationships, and men and women, and how do we navigate healthy relationships in the context of kids, and so I know that some of you are already like, well, I don't have kids, or my kids are out of the house. Yes! You know, like, wherever you're at, we know that you know, there's people all over the place. And, but that's okay, right? We know that some of you are single, some of you have uh, adult children with kids of their own, some of you are married, no kids, some of you are still at home. Wherever you're at, uh, it's okay that we find you in, like, wherever you're at in uh, your phase in family life, because the truth is... Family really impacts us no matter where we are, right? I mean, you can probably imagine and, and remember some of your experiences growing up and how, if you really think about it, those experiences shaped who you are as an adult now, right? And maybe good experiences, maybe bad experiences, whatever, but they impact who you are as an adult now. So I'm hoping that as we go through tonight, and we're going to look at some scripture and some examples that there's going to be something that you can pull and apply in your own life, or maybe you can encourage a coworker or a friend or a fellow student or um, your adult grown children with kids of their own, and we'll just get something that we can hopefully make our homes a little bit better and a little bit more unified. So uh, this idea of, of parenting, clearly at age 34, I have it figured out, so I've got it perfected, and so this is great. This is just perfect to talk about. So um, let me paint a picture of how this plays out in my house. And so uh, our five-year-old, our oldest son, will come to me and he'll say, hey, um, hey, Dad, can I have some Oreos for a snack? Easy question, right? Um, and so in my mind, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, well, this kid, actually, we had to pay for like four or $5,000 in dental care for him when he was younger, true story. When he was two years old, we actually had to have 20 cavities filled um, which was fun because you go to the dentist at two and they go, well, have you been flossing his teeth? A two-year-old? Have I been flossing a two-year-old's teeth? Have you ever been around a two-year-old? Do you think that that's a good idea? There's already, they call it the terrible twos for a reason. They're not like adding flossing to it is going to make it better. So no, we have not been flossing was the answer that I gave him. But in my head, that was all I was going through. So my son here asking me, hey, can I eat these Oreos as a snack? In my mind, he's asking me, can I pour sugar over your investment that you made in my mouth? So, you know, I'm already at like, you know. And here's the worst part. The cookies didn't even come from me or from my wife. They came from grandma, right? Like, you know, grandma. So um, grandmas are loving. They're like, yes, that's what we do. But um, they came from grandma. So in his mind, they're pre-approved cookies. He's not asking for permission to eat the cookies. I'm the only one that's over five feet nearby him that can reach the cookies. So he's just asking me to get his cookies. So, you know, Dad, can you just, I don't need your permission, just grab the cookies. Chop, chop, you know. And um, which is why my face is typically something like, no, you can't have cookies. You know what you can have? Some floss. There you go. Chop, chop. Go floss, right? 
Um, so decision made, all done. As we've been studying, men like to have a little bit of control. That feels like cookie distribution, feels like in my realm of capability in the house. So I've handled it, done. Right? Well, those of you with kids know how this story ends. So 15 minutes later, the cookie seeker goes and finds my um, uh, beautiful, very talented, yet lenient third circuit court of mom and the decision gets overturned, right? As after this lengthy appeals process of batting the eyes, and I love you, mommy, um, it gets overturned. And so now I have no verdict. And the worst part of the end of that story is not that the kid gets the cookies, right? It's that he needs to come find me to let me know how the appeals process went down. So it's, you know, hey, dad, yeah, buddy, what are you doing? I'm in the shower. That's why the shower's going, buddy. Um, hey, just want to let you know, mom, let me have the cookies. Awesome. Great. Thanks, buddy. Spray him with the ceiling real quick. But, um, you know, and so that's, that's where we live, right? This, this idea of our, sometimes our best laid efforts just kind of fall apart. And like everything else with parenting, navigating these relationships, the ones with our spouse, the ones with our kids, it's, it's just a full-time job. They say that you're going to retire one day from your, your job, that's, but you're never going to retire as a parent. So it never ends. You're never going to get this right. You're never going to perfect it. Even if you're 64 or 84, you never get this parenting thing. You're never done with it, never done with the job. And so the question we have is how do we keep our marriages strong while continuing to raise healthy kids? And notice uh, I didn't say like, you know, having an even balance in your house and like everything's just all the time just perfect because that's not the reality we live in. But if, if you're a follower of Jesus, we have to live under a model that actually helps us and gives us freedom to have this priority system set. And it it goes like God is first, right? And then our spouse is second, and then kids are third, and then we're last. We're easy. You're always last. Like in Christianity, you're just always last. Like that's the easy thing to remember. So, um, but the challenge is, and if you've paid attention to anything going on around you in society, you know this to be true. Over the past several decades, we've really moved towards a child-centered culture. I mean, the home has become very child-centered. Um, you know, we'll, we'll sacrifice time with our spouse, sacrifice time uh, on things that really matter. Sometimes for many reasons, right? Like maybe we didn't get attention growing up as a kid, and so we think, my, ah, my, cat, my kid is never going to feel what I felt, and so I'm going to make sure that they know they're loved all the time. And, all that. and nobody's talking about not saying we love your kid. That's not it. It's the extreme of this. And so maybe you swung the other way, and now your, your house is like child-centered. Or maybe, and this is probably the more uh, true reality for us, is that we just want what's best for our kids, right? We want them to be happy. And so we have the financial capacity in this day and age. We have more financial capacity than maybe our parents did. And we have the emotional capacity and we make the time because we'll say no to other things that are maybe good to make our kids first. And it creates this child-centered house, which the reality is that in that environment, what we produce is self-centered children because they leave the house and it's always been about them. And now they get in the world, and wait a minute, it's always about, mommy said it's always about me, and so it should be about me. And so you get this entitled, self-centered uh, culture that, that exists, and now the cycle just continues and continues. And, and this is why, you know, we'll travel over God's green earth to go to, you know, our daughter's rec ballet tournament in Fuquay or wherever. That might not even be a thing, but, um, you know, we'll go all over the place 
just to, you know, oh, it's going to be happy and they love this thing. Or we'll, we'll spend dinner, most of our dinners during the week, not at a table around talking to one another, but through drive throughs And one parent will take this kid and one parent will take this kid and we're kind of passing the night. And some of you, that's probably good because you can't cook, but it's not healthy, right, as we, as we think, not just physically, but just as emotionally as your, as your family. Uh, and then while a lot of times the conversation, maybe you've, you've been there, when you do get moments alone with your spouse, what do you talk about? You talk about the kids' activities, right? So you go, well, Johnny went two for three in baseball, and he did this, 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 and Susie did whatever statistical stuff uh, ballet does, and, and you just kind of, I don't, I'm, clearly I'm not in that world, thank the Lord. But um, you, that's all you talk about, right? Like you just talk about kind of this, you're talking around your kids and not really about parenting or about anything of substance. And there's nothing wrong with extra activities, right? We, we, there's nothing wrong with getting your kids involved in stuff, um, society tells us you should get your kids involved in everything make them super well-rounded it'll be so great um, and there's nothing wrong with it as long as it's not to the detriment of the relationship with your spouse and that's where I think we we trip up sometimes is that we let our kids get so busy we program so much of their time to try to make them well-rounded they were actually forcing them to be busier than they should be and they miss the stuff that actually matters they miss seeing you and your spouse together interacting and like on the same page because they're just always all over the place it's going to be interesting to see in 15 years what these kids that grew up in these homes are like as adults right when they've just been programmed like tuesday night is scouts and wednesday night is baseball and thursday night is flute and and like their life has to be this constant thing and they don't know how to just sit and just be what is it going to be when they're adults and they have kids of their own or they're in the workforce and they're working 80 90 hours a week because they don't know how to not do something right we're creating those kind of environments if we're not careful. And we don't rescue our kids. Uh, uh, we spend a ton of time rescuing them from hurts in, in their lives. And how this plays out uh, is, you know, in the thing about school. Maybe your kid uh, didn't get their project done or they told you at the last minute, hey, I have this project due tomorrow. It's on, like, the country of Sri Lanka, and I need to learn everything about it, and it's 10 o'clock at night. And you're like, all right. And so there's two responses to that. One, there's like, all right, well, let's get on the internet and go and let's do it and get it done. And then there's my response. All right, good luck with that, buddy. See you in the morning, right? Like there's kind of this, but we do that as parents. We think, I don't want them to feel like there's a zero and they're going to, oh, it's going to be, they're going to feel so embarrassed. Yep. And they're probably not going to do it again, right? And so, but we do that. That's our, that's our, our kind of our natural response. And some of us, if we, kids don't get a grade on a test or on a paper that they, we think we should, we'll call, we'll be the first to email the teacher, and I think you need to review, Johnny tried really hard on this or whatever, and we don't give our teachers enough credit who work, anybody in here a teacher, work tightly, yeah, hands up, they can barely get their hands up, they're so tired, but, um, you know, they work hours and hours and hours, my wife used to be a teacher, and um, she's a recovering teacher, and she... Uh, I think we calculated her hourly rate one time at like 45 cents. I mean, it was just something with lesson plans and stuff. And, and we don't give them the benefit of the doubt at going like, hey, you know a little bit of what you're doing. And I might not have given that exact grade, but you're within the realm. And we don't defer. We, we try to rescue our kids. And um, there's probably nowhere that this exists more than in the sports world. So if you're a dad or a mom, um, it, it, they've actually figured out, it's, a, it's an amazing thing I've discovered. Um, the game of baseball, so if you've ever watched a full baseball game, and you've thought like, man, this is really slow and kind of boring. Um, they've actually figured out a way to make it slower and more boring. It's called five-year-old t-ball. And so <laughs> we're doing that now. It, I think my sentence is up in like two months, and then we're good. So, um, but we have this five-year-old t-ball, which is just terrible. It's just about getting uniforms and trophies and snacks at the end of the time. 
but there's parents, right, that are going, hey, Johnny hadn't played first base yet. He needs to play first base. Johnny doesn't even know where first base is. Like, let it go. It's going to be all right. And, but we do that, right? We, we feel like we got to rescue our kid from feeling like, oh, they're not the most important kid on the team. Nope. There's only one most important kid on the team, and we feel like that's a lesson that we can't teach our kids, and so we try to rescue them from those little hurts. Not the harms, not saving them out of the road. Nobody's going like, ah, oh, he'll learn what cars do if you let him go. Like, nobody's saying that. Like, don't do that, right? It's tempting sometimes with a two-year-old. He'll figure it out, but don't do that. Hear loud and clear. Um, but, you know, we have to kind of pull back on that. And then I think the last area that really trips us up is the, the, the balance of trying to be friends with our kids. And this, is, this one's tough because you want to be liked and you want like, ah, oh, and it gets harder the older they get. When they're young, it's very easy to tell them no and not feel like you're damaging the relationship. They'll, no, and then they love you and they climb in your lap and watch Dora or whatever it is. Um, but it's when that, that same five-year-old that used to climb in your lap and be excited to see you is now a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old and their first thought when they see you is not to climb in your lap and to say, hey, and say, how are you doing? And you haven't talked to them for a week or two, more than, hmm, 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 whatever. And now they ask you for something. Can I go do this? Can I see this friend? Can I do whatever? And your response is, man, I just want to talk, and I want them to be happy with me or whatever. And so you say, yes, even though it might not be a good thing, it might not be a boundary that you really need to draw. And so in the, in the effort to be friends with our kids, we actually wind up hurting them more than we think because we're not honest with them. We don't give them the boundaries that they really need. And so it's tough. All this parenting stuff is just, it's difficult to navigate. It's not easy to do, uh, and it doesn't get any easier. So we're going to look and see if there's anything that we can get uh, from Scripture. We're going to look at three different parts of Scripture and see what we can uh, glean about marriages and how we can set them up in a way that will allow us to parent better, um, to have our families be more holistic, that they can be operating the way they should be. So if you have your Bibles or uh, an app, you can turn it on right now, and we're going to go to uh, the book of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 19, and uh, Matthew's an interesting guy. He was a follower of Jesus. He was one of his uh, disciples, and he was a tax collector, and he was a Jew, uh, which was not ordinarily the case. Uh, as a tax collector, he worked for the government, and uh, the Jews didn't like the government. The government didn't like the Jews. And what's interesting about Matthew is that when Jesus said, hey, come follow me, he gave up that life and then went to follow him, which then meant now he's hated by the government and the Jews. Like, now he's really giving up a ton in order to follow Jesus. Such an interesting thing, because I think, I don't know if I would do that, if I would give up everything I had just because somebody said, hey, come follow me. But that's who Matthew was. And so he has this really interesting take on a lot of what Jesus did um, as a Jew. So in Matthew 19, we see this, um, we're going to encounter this uh, story of when Jesus is being questioned uh, by this group of people called the Pharisees. And if you know anything about Jesus, him getting questioned by the Pharisees is like the sun coming up. Like it just happens everywhere he goes. There's like always questioning him, trying to trip him up. So in verse three, it begins, it says, some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Jesus said, uh, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. We've heard that verse at weddings probably a million times, but... Now, it's interesting, the verse he quotes is from Genesis 2, verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother, leaves, so not child-centered, leaves his father and mother, and is united to his wife, and they become 
one flesh. And so Jesus, referencing back to this, they know this stuff. The Pharisees, they didn't have Bibles back then. They actually memorized everything. And so when he says, haven't you read? They know, like, oh yeah, I know what he's about to say. And so it's interesting because once Jesus says, no, here's the deal. They should be one flesh. Man and woman, one flesh. So when you're asking me about divorce, the answer is God created it and it's one flesh. So then they try to trip them up. They say, why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? So they're trying to trick him up. And what's interesting about it is they're asking Jesus, well, if God designed it this way, why does he allow us to have divorce? Why did God give us a way to have divorce if he allowed us to do it? And I love Jesus' answer to the question. It's one that as parents, we should just really study and learn because in essence, what they're asking is, so we asked God for divorce. He gave it to us, and it has bad consequences. Why do we have bad consequences? Because like, I told you not to do it, and so you did it. And so Jesus replies, he says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but this was not the way from the beginning. See, the answer was God never designed marriage to have a finite shelf life. He never designed it to end at some point. But because the people, in this case, a bunch of men were being jack wagons to their wife. That's a scripture. So it's in the, like the message version or something. But, you know, they're, they're being jerks. And they're like, I don't want to be married anymore because I don't want to submit. I don't want to do the stuff that actually. So how can we get divorced? And God's like, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't want that. You want like, this is not how the marriage is designed. Like, no, 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 we want this. So God permits them to have that hurt, right? He gives them, all right, well, if you're going to do it, this is what you're going to do. But understand, there's going to come with it all of this hurt and this weight. And so now, because God permitted us to have that, we have this thing of divorce that is not how marriage is intended. It's not the way God designed. And the Pharisees are sitting there asking, well, why did this happen? Because you asked for it. That ought to teach you, right? And what about our resources? This is an interesting uh, study if you look kind of at, at parenting. Uh, our resources, where do they go and what does it say about our priorities? As we're looking um, as a parent, this is something that we've kind of challenged ourselves with. Um, there's a verse again in Matthew, Matthew 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 21. Uh, Jesus says this. He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart is will be also. Now, Jesus has been giving the Sermon on the Mount. It's like filled with just a ton of great, great teaching. Um, and he kind of gets to this point that you don't ever give a verse without context. And so the context, he has actually just told them two or three verses ahead that don't invest in stuff that doesn't matter. Stop investing. Stop buying things that are going to rot, that are going to fall away, that aren't going to matter. And the reason he says to, to don't do that, he says don't invest in that stuff, is not because it's a bad investment on your money. That's not the problem, right? Money is just money. He says, don't do it because here's the truth. Where your treasure is, there your heart is going to be also. That's why if, you know, for me, it's, it's a privilege to give money here at Hope because we do such a ton of great things around here. And so for me to give, it lets my heart be aligned with what's going on, right? In the same way, Jesus goes, that's just the way we're wired. Whatever you invest your t money into and your time, that's where your heart's going to be. So in our homes... If we spend the majority of our time and the majority of our resources on our kids, again, there's, it, loving your kids is good. Don't like hear that that's not a good thing. But at the detriment of the relationship of our marriage, which should be a more primary relationship, there is a cost there because our heart 
will be where our time and our resources are. So here's the challenge, and this is the one that um, I, me and my wife are trying to go through, and it's, it's very, very tricky. Maybe it's tricky for you, maybe it's easy. Look at the last 30 days on your calendar and at your bank statement. And I want you to look at where did you spend money and where did you spend time, right? For every event that you did with your kids, with you spending money, blah, 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 blah. How much time did you spend with your wife or your spouse? And understand, it's not a one-to-one ratio. We still have kids in diapers, so if I had to put money, the amount of money I'm putting in diapers into my wife, we're like driving a Bentley you know, for her every, every weekend. But it's, um, and we're not there because I work at a church. So um, that is just, it gives you a filter to look through and go, all right, if we're spending all this time going to uh, T-ball and whatever, or you're just spending time doing stuff that's chauffeuring kids around, how many times am I doing, having date nights with my wife or just one-on-one conversations or just spending time talking to them in a meaningful way, right? And, and more importantly, how often do my kids get to see that, right? So when they go to bed, I always spend time together when they go to bed. That's good, right? I would highly encourage that if you have energy to do that, then absolutely. But them seeing you put your marriage first sends a very loud message to our kids, so don't invest in stuff that doesn't matter. It's just going to be a shame if you kind of fast forward 10 years and you look at the amount of money you spent on stuff like buying things for your kids and you go, gosh, what do I have to show for it, right? A bunch of trophies and a bunch of jerseys and your kids aren't any happier and maybe our marriage is not as strong as it should be. So figuring out what, how can we invest those resources in ways that are meaningful. Uh, the last verse we're going to look at is, it comes from a, a guy named Paul. It comes from the book of Philippians. And Paul's an interesting guy because he, uh, his name used to be Saul, and he was one of the like, chief uh, persecutors of Christians in the, early, in the early days back in Jesus' time. So he'd go around and try to capture them and throw them in jail and, and really just was giving them a hard time. Um, and Jesus dies, and Saul probably gets really excited because now like, there's nobody to create new followers, no new miracles and all this stuff. So he gets really excited, and so he's like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to really finish persecuting all these people until he runs into Jesus the guy that died, um, because that typically changes people's lives. And so um, here he runs in on the road to this uh, guy, Jesus, who says, hey, why are you doing this to me? The dead guy is asking him, why are you doing this to me? And then he says, stop and follow me. To which Paul, after seeing the dead guy come back to life, goes, okay. And it's interesting, from that point on, he gets his name, now it's Paul, and he goes around and he starts most of the new churches, like in the Bible, like if you look at all the, like uh, a lot of the New Testament are letters that he wrote to these churches that he started. And so Philippians is one of those letters to this little church in Philippi. And so we're in uh, chapter two, verse three. He tells this church, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, what's interesting about that is if you're a parent, whether you believe the Bible or not, whether you've ever heard that verse, whether you know it's true, whether whatever your spiritual view is, you've probably taught this idea to your kids, right? You've taught them to share. You've taught them to put other people first. You've told them, hey, it's not about you. It's about other people. Like, we've told them those things, again, regardless of our biblical worldview, But the challenge with parenting is that it's not about our words, right? It's not about our words. It's about our behaviors. So we can say to we're blue in the face to our kids, 
hey, it's not about you, it's not about you, it's about other people, and you should put others first. But when we as parents continually put them first to the detriment of the other relationships in the house, right, our relationship with God, our relationship with our spouse, what message are they hearing? They're hearing loud and clear, it is about me. You can tell me whatever, but if, I, if it's always about me and you're at like my beck and call and everything seems to be about me, it is about me. And so we have to figure out how can we set those priorities in a way that allows our kids to see them on a consistent basis. And so as parents, what we have to do is we have to take the time to actually come up with a plan of action, right? What are we going to do to really demonstrate to our kids that our marriage comes before them? I'll never forget, I was uh, talking with a friend of mine, we were out fishing a couple years ago, and I asked him what was the, um, the best moment he's had as a dad in the past year? And, um, you know, kind of a loaded question. You just never know what you're going to get with that one. But he said, without a doubt, he was at breakfast one morning, and um, they were praying, and his uh, daughter, like five, six, seven-year-old daughter, um, prayed and said, God, thank you that Daddy loves Mommy so much. And I said, man, that's a great moment. I said, what, what in particular makes that so impactful for you? He said two things. He said, one that she, he, she sees me doing it, that she sees me loving mommy so much, and that two, she realizes it's something that I should be thankful for, that I should, that I should be thanking God that I have a dad that loves his wife so much. I thought that is so, so huge. And that's not an accident. That's an intentional conversation that has to happen. So um, we have to spend time talk about what are we going to do? How are we going to be on the same page when it comes to honoring one another in front of our kids? How are we going to be on the same page when it comes to the cookie questions? How is it going to be on the same page when it comes to curfew, friends, clothing? Start having those conversations so that when it comes up, you're aligned and it becomes like this unified front for your kids. And uh, let me just say this real quick because when you get in the weeds on that, a lot of times you get hung up in well, I think this, and they think this, and so we can't agree. If you get to that point, um, just go have sex, and that will really, some of you guys like are like, this is the best message ever. Um, you just got your bottom line, not literally, like, no pun intended, but um, like, just, it will clear, like, it will help you focus, like, this is not about whatever the issue is, right? We just need to kind of realign, and then we can kind of move forward, so that's just free advice. Um, but uh, here's some three practical things you can do other than that um, that kind of help you get on, on the same page. Uh, number one, discuss regularly. Have conversations about how you are doing as parents putting your marriage first in front of your kids, right? So how are we doing? What are we, are we on the same page? Are we not? What are the issues that keep coming up? Is one kid keep asking me and then kind of skirting around authority or whatever it is? How are we doing well and how are we not doing well and what's what's interesting about this is if you're in a relationship um, outside of marriage maybe you're dating or you're uh, um, you, you're engaged and you're like having those like cutesy conversations about like how many kids do you want to have I don't know too how many you want? like those are stupid conversations to have that has nothing to do with parenting like you need to talk about real stuff like what are we gonna do when that one's throwing up and I gotta get over here and like talk about stuff that matters like come up with a game plan um, before you even have kids, when's going to be your date night? Like, when's the time? Doesn't mean you have to go spend money all the time, but when is the time that you have blocked off so that your kids are not a comp competitor in that and they know that it's going to happen and they're not, like, bugging you to, like, hey, going to go do this? Nope, it's mommy and daddy's date night. Whatever that is, get on the same page with that stuff. Figure it out. 
Um, if you're a single parent and you're a Christian, so Christian single parents, as much as it is up to you, you need to get on the same page with your spouse, right? And I know, trust me, it is not, you have to defer to all their judgment because they bring stuff and you know how that, I mean, that just, there's a reason you're divorced, right? I get all of that stuff. But let me push back a little bit on this. Um, think about your ex and think about the message that that sends to your child when you honor them by being on the same page, by saying, hey, your father and I, regardless of where we are, we agree with this. That will send such a powerful message because to that kid, who knows, mommy and daddy might not like each other. They, they know that. Kids are not dumb. They know the dynamics of what that, much more than we think. Um, they know that that exists. When they see you honor and say, well, what did your father say? Well, he said this. Okay, well, then that's what it is. When they see you honor or vice versa, that sends a powerful message in how they are supposed to relate to the world, to people that don't like them, that don't agree with them, that have, you know, whatever it is. Because the truth of the matter is, this isn't me saying this stuff. I can hide behind this, but it's, it's true. Um, this, is, this is what God says, right? When he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and then love other people. Odds are your spouse, ex-spouse, is, another, is a person, right? I know there's some, probably some debate, and, um, but it's true, right? And so you're teaching your child in the midst of difficulty, how can I honor? And I'm not talking about safety. If there's bad decisions that are being made, you don't back a bad decision, right? And if you keep your kids safe. But as much as it is up to you, defer. Because the reality is you're responsible to your uh, ex-spouse, but not for them. So like just as much as you can, honor them. Um, if you are married, get on the same page and honor your spouse. Figure out a way that you are going to honor them even if they're not around. So a, a very easy example is when they're talking to your spouse, if they use a tone that's not great, don't even let your spouse get to the point of like, hey, you shouldn't talk to me that way. You should be swooping in and going, you don't talk to mommy that way. You don't talk to my wife. You don't talk to my husband that way. Even better, be like, do you think mommy would ever talk to daddy that way? One of my uh, people I work with said that that's what she tells her kids. Like, would daddy ever talk to me that way? What a great way to phrase it so that kids understand, well, no, daddy would never talk to me, talk to you that way, so I shouldn't either. What a unified front um, that we can present. Two, decide when appropriate. So like if you've already discussed, there's already this ongoing conversation, and you have the ability to make a decision because you feel relatively confident that your spouse is going to back you, right? Make the decision, even if it's a hard one, right? If you're always the yes person and you know the decision's a no, go ahead and say no. Don't push it to your spouse so that they're the bad cop. That's not fair to them, and it certainly doesn't honor them, right? It lets you try to be the hero. Make that decision. Make that hard decision, and never promise something that you're, you can't do, right? If you can't do it and you need to talk to your spouse, just say, if we can, right? Those are the magic words. Can I go do this? If we can, I'm going to talk to your father. I'm going to talk to your mom. We're going to get on the same page with this. Three, defer to the other parent. This happens a lot where you go, well, what did mommy say? What did daddy say? You know, and they kind of pit you against one another. And that's the typical way we deal with it. Well, what if we flipped it and actually was more, more proactive and they asked you, well, what, can I go do this? Can I go to this friend's house? Why don't you give the power, write your spouse a blank check on decision-making and say, well, I tell you what, why don't you go ask your mom and whatever she says, I agree with. I don't care what she says, I agree with it, right? Now when the kid goes to the mom and the mom goes, well, what did your dad say? Well, he said, you get to decide. Just think about how that 
would make your spouse feel honored. Like, okay, they, clearly you have an opinion on it. Everybody has an opinion about everything. So you could have made the decision, but to defer it, to be submissive and to say, I'm, you make the decision. Even if it's a decision that I might not agree with, I'm going to back you on it. Um, what a powerful way to communicate to our kids that we're on the same page. Because the truth is what we highlight in our home is going to be what they replicate when they leave it. You know, when, they, when we want our, our kids to have these strong, healthy marriages, we don't want our kids to have marriages that end in divorce. Right? We don't want that for our kids. And so when we want that for them, we have to figure out how we can start giving them that healthy model so that they can follow it. So if you're a Christian, your, your marriage should be a high priority, right? God, then your marriage. And the good thing about that is if, if you're a follower of Christ, your marriage is actually the perfect model for the gospel. The way you love your wife is the way that Christ loved the church. And the way that your wife submits and respects you is the way that the church submits and respects Christ. And so when we get this right in a Christian home, it is a powerful example of how we should operate and how the church operates and how God loves us. And it is just such an unbelievable witness that we have that our kids can leave having this rock-solid foundation of like, I know what a family should look like and I know what a healthy marriage should look like. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're not a Christian and you're just checking this thing out, um, I, would, I would challenge you, put your marriage first anyway. There are studies upon studies upon studies. You can thought all the Bible. You don't have to look at the verses. You don't have to know anything about Paul or Matthew or anybody else. Um, there are studies that just show how families that put their marriage first have more well-rounded kids, right, if that's a way to say it. But their kids, they have a better worldview. It's healthier. There's a good balance. The home in and of itself is just a healthy place to be. You know why that is? Because you don't have to believe in the creator of something to use it the way it was intended to be used, right? Isn't that a blessing? That God intended marriage to be this oneness, right? This idea of like, we are always together. You don't have to believe in God to know that marriage works better when it works that way. I don't have to believe in Steve Jobs to use the Apple iPad like an iPad and not a coaster or a Frisbee, right? It, they're, they're two separate things. And that's okay, right? So figure out, how can you put your marriage first when it comes to your kids so that they can see that and that they have this uh, healthy model to view uh, going forward when they have their own families? So the question for you guys and for me and for all of us with kids is, as we wrap up this series, what changes? What are you going to do, right? What are the things that you've put in place over the past four weeks as Mike's been talking? What are you going to put into place today with your kids, what are the things you're going to do to honor your spouse, to make them a priority, to do the things that are going to help them understand that the home in a healthy balance does not have them at the center of it, and that's okay. Mike said it best when he said that our kids and our spouses are given to us to give us humility, right? He's kind of said it half kidding, but it's really true. It really helps us to stay humble and be reminded that we're not in control all the time, that we're not always right all the time. Um, but it's worth it to get that humility. And the only time that Jesus ever described himself, he said, I'm gentle and I'm humble at heart. And man, it just seems like that's something. If we can get this humility thing, if we can start striving for that and we can help our kids strive for that and become more like Jesus, I feel like we're doing something right as parents. So what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do when you walk out of those doors that's different than before you walked in here? That's the question you got. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for 
our families. Thank you for another day of life, for the blessings that you have given us, the people in our lives, Father, the relationships that you allow us to be a part of. Father, we pray as we wrap up this series on relationships that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us the heart and the desire to submit and to honor one another and to honor our kids by honoring one another first. Father, we pray for our kids. Help them to not be dividers of our marriage. We pray for our parents. Help them not to be dividers of our marriage, Father. Give, us, give them wisdom and clarity and help us all just to focus on keeping marriages in a oneness state, just the way you intended it, Father, so they can operate the way that is best. And pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.